Welcome to the Global Missions Inc. podcast. This episode features Calvin Martin. I have a message that's been on my heart for quite some time. It's long. I apologize for that, but we will let the Lord sort of do what he does. Let's say that we'll be led by the Spirit. Certainly, I hope, pray that, that I am. All scriptures I'm going to read today to you are from the King James Version. But many of the other versions that I did read, I just decided to stay consistent rather than sort of skipping around. So I'm going to begin. As ones who profess to believe in the salvation through the resurrection life of the Lord Jesus Christ and covet to be spirit-filled, and ones who desire to be led by the Holy Spirit, our calling and our walk in this day has not changed. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, starting in Matthew 5, starting in verse 13, it says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth, it is henceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of them, of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick that it may give light unto that all that are in the house. I'd like to concentrate for a second on this 16th verse. Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Our walk is a calling to be a light unto the world that will glorify our Father in heaven through our good works, not exalt our good works. I'm sure you're familiar with Jesus' wilderness experience. I'm going to use the one from the Gospel of Matthew. Luke has one as well, but I'm going to write the, uh, read the one from uh, Matthew, which is chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward unhungered. And when the tempter, the devil, came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made into bread. There are two simultaneous things occurring at that exact moment. One is the recognition of the fact that there is a choice. And if you recognize that, two, that a choice has to be made. The devil knew the scriptures and recognized the authority that Jesus had, but was motivated, but his motivation was to usurp Jesus' authority and claim it for his own. I'm not going to read the rest of that account because it just repeats it in three different ways. But I'm going to just say what Jesus said to him. But he answered, Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 8 and 3. The point that I'm trying to make there is that when we are finding ourselves in troubles or in circumstances, we look for a way of escape. Jesus had a way of escape, but he knew that the spirit that was directing him wasn't of God. So he knew that there was a choice to be made. He didn't ignore the fact that there's no choice here. Of course I'm going to turn that into bread. I'm hungry. So I hope that we get that as we go through these things that we begin to understand that we run into choices and sometimes we may not recognize them for the spirit that is in that choice. And we just look for a way of escape. Jesus was in a 40-day fast weakened state, and that's when the devil showed up to entice and to deceive. Isn't that how it goes? When we are discouraged, going through trials, 
Our troubles seem to compound, sometimes seemingly exponentially, and then there they are. Temptations offering solutions that seem to show an end to our plight. Our choices, our walk, will either shine forth as his light and glorify his name, or we will seek a way of escape through our own thinking, our own strength, by conforming to conventional or acceptable norms in the world. We need to recognize our circumstances by the Spirit. We've heard a lot about being led by the Spirit. And then be led by the Spirit in making the right decision. I think too often we've, we've, we've often thought that, uh, you know, when it was easy for Jesus to do that, he sort of knew. But he had to recognize the, the spirit that was in the decision that he had to make. I'm going to move to the New Testament here. Or sorry, I'm going to move to Paul's ministering to the church at Corinth, at Corinth of the reality that we too, as Jesus did, will experience temptations. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 13. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Verse 5. But with many of them... God was not well pleased. It speaks of the remnant that we had been taught earlier this week. All the previous verses had said all, and this said some. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Their experiences overwhelmed them. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. This is a reference that I will be, be uh, building on shortly. I will continue to read, Neither let us commit fornications, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them murmured, and were destroyed of the, of the destroyer. And then Paul's, Paul's saying to him, to the Corinthians, No, all these things happen unto them for examples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. That's another message for another time. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. That scripture we're going to come back to a number of times. And I'm going to read it one more time now so it just gets implanted in your heads. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, or another translation says befallen on you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able but will with the, with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. That's, that, let's go back to Jesus' experience. There was a way of escape, but not the one that was obvious. Right? So, so Because he was led by the Spirit to have that way of escape. And God will make the way of escape. We will not construct it ourselves. Though we experience... Oh, sorry... The, the, this term called is, as, such as to common man, I'd like to just quickly read Luke twelve twenty nine and 32. And seek not ye what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. How does he know it? It's common to man. He knows what's common to man. And we just were told that he will make a way of escape. He will provide. He, that he is faithful to those. He is faithful to those, to his children. He's faithful to you and I. Fear not, uh, seek ye the kingdom of God. That's your responsibility. And all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
Though we experience trials on our earthly realm, we are admonished to seek God's kingdom. And this I put in capitals just for my own edification. It says, for his good pleasure is that we obtain it. Think about it. When I, when, when it, that sort of hit me, it says, it's his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. And the more I thought on that, that it just, it just overwhelmed me and that it is his good pleasure that we obtain it. Not talk about it. Not think about it. Not walk around it. But obtain it. What an awesome gift. But with that comes some responsibility. Paul used the wilderness experience of the children of Israel as an example to the church at Corinth. And I will use them again today as an example to us. I'm going to cover Exodus chapters 19 through 32. No, nobody fainted. Uh, However, I will only be able to pick a few salient points, so I'll leave the complete reading of these chapters to you in your personal devotions. I was I was happy to uh, the, the the songs that went forth today, because and there was prophecies that went forth about the children of Israel, and I said, well, that falls right into this. Three months after their deliverance from Egypt, the children of Israel were encamped around Mount Sinai. God had delivered His chosen people, the children of Israel, and placed a calling on them. Exodus nineteen three to six. And Moses went up unto God, and the, Lord, and the Lord called unto him of the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. Now, every once in a while, you'll, I'll say a pronoun of ye, or thee, or they, or I, and I will just sort of quickly in a lower voice say what the reference is, because sometimes it can get confusing who the ye's and I's really are. So remember, he's talking to Moses, and this is what he's supposed to tell to the children of Israel. So it says, It says, ye, which is the children of Israel, because this is what Moses is supposed to tell them, have seen that I, God, not Moses, did unto the Egyptians. And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. Placed a calling and gave a promise. We commonly use the word condition to describe the requirements of a covenant or a law. You know, obey this, if this, you know, that that sort of uh, context. When I believe, and I have for quite a while now, thanks to Brother Joe, it really is our responsibility to fulfill our accountability and our obligation to that covenant or to that law which we're going to spend some time talking about today. Because I think when we hear the word obey, our natural carnal self puts, puts a resistance up automatically. My dad, used, my dad and my wife, more so maybe now, take the garbage out. What's my first indication? That's my wife. She'll tell you this is true. She told me to, so I'm going to do it later, so I don't do it right now when she told me to. But think about what would happen if I didn't accept the responsibility that was given to me. First of all, she'd put it outside the door and then my driveway would be filled up with bags and bags of garbage because she would prove a point because she needs to do that with me. But the point is, is that you have to accept the responsibility or just all this clutter just begins to gather and gather and gather and gather and gather. So my responsibility is take the garbage out. Oh, and on Monday, wake up early enough to get to the, gar- the garbage truck before it gets here. I'm giving you a silly little example, but our natural tendencies is to resist commands to obey when really what we should be doing is, is being joyful in the responsibility that's been placed on you such that when it's accomplished, the goal is met. And in this particular case, the goal is to take the garbage out. But God's purpose is that we can enter into the kingdom. There's a responsibility to get there. He wants to give it to us, but, you know, if I can't get out my back door to even get to the garbage uh, truck, 
I'm, I'm inhibited. And I'm going to talk about those, in, those inhibitions today, or in, inabilities today. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all the words which the Lord had commanded him. He accepted his responsibility. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. So that takes commitment, faithfulness, obedience, and acceptance of that responsibility. And, and the people answering and said, All that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. And, and Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. So now this is a covenant between the two of them. Both know each party's responsibility. Responsibility to walk and to obey the words that the Lord has said, and the Lord would fulfill his promise. Make them a chosen people. Make them a kingdom of priests. You know, deliver them from their enemies. Care for them. Be faithful to them, etc., etc. After being delivered from Egypt, the children of Israel were exuberant in their newfound freedom from oppression. They had experienced God's deliverance and were enthusiastic in their willingness to obey God's word and to proclaim their trust and faith in him. Similar to Adam and Eve in the garden, God wanted to fellowship with with the children of Israel and for them to experience him firsthand in an intimate, interactive, personal relationship. I think that was mentioned today too, about that walking in the garden, that that moment when you when the Lord just wanted to fellowship with Adam and Eve. Here he shows the same, Exodus 19 and 9. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, firsthand, and believe thee. So the children of Israel would now know the calling God had placed on Moses individually forever. And Moses told the words of the people, words of the people unto the Lord. Now there were to be a few parameters set on how this personal experience with God was going to be fulfilled. And I'm sort of going to paraphrase and only read certain scriptures here. They included two days of sanctification and cleansing, preparation. And starting in the 11th verse, and to be ready against the third day, for the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people. This is firsthand. This was to be that personal experience. And he was going to be on the Mount Mount Sinai. God also set boundaries around Mount Sinai to which the children of Israel were to be attentive with dire consequences if they were not heeded. Exodus 19, verse 16. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightning and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceedingly loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. This was God's way of making it an experiential reality. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount according to the boundaries. They accepted that responsibility. And Mount Sinai was altogether on smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mount quaked greatly. What a sight. What an anticipation for the visit from God himself. There are New Testament equivalents of that, but I'll leave that for later. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice, fulfilling verse, the promise of verse 9. At this moment, God had all his kingdom of priests sanctified, washed, and called out of their dwelling places, standing at the boundaries of the mountain, fixated on hearing the voice of the Lord. Exodus 20, 1 through 6. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord God, which have brought thee, the children of Israel, out of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt, and out of the house of bondage. Notice the, con- the text is different. It's not Moses telling the people. This is God telling the people. 
And then God directly speaks to his chosen people what we commonly identify as the Ten Commandments. I'm only going to read the first. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the, in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Like Adam and Eve choosing to partake of the tree of knowledge and disobedience to the only commandment that they were given, the children of Israel would, would contravene this first commandment not many days hence. Just a reminder, God here was speaking directly to his people. There's a message on prophecy that probably should be injected here, but we do not have the time for that today. Exodus 20, 18. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear but let not God speak to me, lest we die. Rather than awe-inspired reverence, dreadful fear overcame the children of Israel. The children of Israel were at the point, at that point needing to recognize there was a time to make a choice. In fear, they chose to separate themselves from any direct relationship with God. That was the decision they made. This choice of the children of Israel rings similar to the tones of the account of the ten spies fearing the giants in the land that God had promised unto the children of Israel and the fulfillment of that promise was denied them. Exodus 20 and 20. And Moses, similar to Caleb and Joshua, said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove or test you and that his fear, and this particular translation I like others, was his authority, his omnipotence, his power, so it's set before your faces that ye sin not. And the people stood afar off, separating themselves as Adam and Eve did when they, after their fall. And, Bros, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. So Moses went back up into the mountain from verses 22 of this 20th chapter through chapters 21, 22, and 23. God instructs judgments, laws, ordinances to Moses that he is to tell to the children of Israel for them to obey. God had shown the children of Israel that he had given authority to Moses and the people had delegated to Moses the responsibility to convey God's word to them. How would world history be different if God's people had accepted and fulfilled the calling God had placed on them to be a kingdom of priests? It, it, it was kind of a fun exercise to, to sit with the Lord and just speculate on that. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. Continuing in Exodus 24, 3 to 8. I know there's a lot of scriptures here, but you sort of need to hear what the words are, and then it sort of makes sense at the end. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has said, we will do. Number two, and Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and built an, built an altar under the hill and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the children of Israel which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read it in the audience of the people. And they said... All that the Lord has said, we will do, and be obedient. And the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. The children of Israel, for a second and a third time, professed their commitment to obey the word of the Lord and were bound by the covenant through the blood of their offering to the Lord. God had much more to share with his people, and Moses was again called up into the mountain. Now we get to the good part. And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up unto me in the mount and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandment that I have written. 
God's written. Not Moses. wasn't contrived of any man's thoughts. God was saying, I've made, I've made these up and I'm going to give them to you. I'm going to skip to the 15th verse. And Moses went up into the mountain and a cloud covered the mount and the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And the seventh day he called Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. And Moses went up into the midst of the cloud and got him up onto the mount. And Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, there's all my detail. Hopefully you're still awake. Chapters 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, and 31 continue with God giving Moses' the laws, sacrifices, ordinances, judgments, etc., that were to be taught to the children of Israel for them to obey. Now let's try to, re- to relate to the mindset, experiences, and circumstances of the children of Israel at this moment. Until just three or four months previous, the entire lifespan of all those that encamped around Mount Sinai had been enslaved in Egypt. Sometimes we sort of forget the context of what we're reading, but that was their reality. They were only four months away for something they had lived their entire life in. In their minds, Moses had negotiated with Pharaoh for their deliverance, and some of those negotiations didn't go so well for them, even to the extent that their persecution and burdens were increased. Remember? Paul's warned us that we, we too will fall, to te- we will fall to temptations and have trials and tribulations. Through acceptance of the responsibility, we more commonly use the submissive term obedience rather than the accountability term responsibility, to comply with what proved to be a death-defying constraints and covering, and God delivered them from their bondage, and Moses led them out of Egypt. God, through Moses, parted the Red Sea and destroyed the armies of Egypt. Moses shepherded the children of Israel through the wilderness for three months and brought them to a place of rest and safety at Mount Sinai. All the time, God was faithful to meet all their needs. As we have read, the children of Israel had been filled with fear by the personal encounter with the Lord when God spoke to them from the mountain. Moses, as their intermediary, had written and taught the word of God to them on many occasions. And now Moses had last been seen entering into, and I quote from that previous scripture, the glory of the Lord that was like a devouring fire on the top of a mount in the eyes of the children of Israel a month and a half ago. Now I had to read that a number of times to sort of get the reality of what this children of Israel had experienced. They were exuberant in being delivered from, uh, from Egypt. There was great joy, as we just talked about Martha dancing as, uh, for the deliverance. But now, they had been four and a half months basically in a wait-and-see attitude. They, they, they felt that they had been abandoned. The children of Israel were left unattended and began to submit to their own thoughts. They felt abandoned and became restless. The word of the God and their commitment to it was quickly beginning to retreat into the sphere of irrelevance based on their immediate circumstances. Boy, did I recognize myself there. Did I recognize myself there. Although not penned at the time of this account, the children of Israel could have come to the same realization as the psalmist did when he wrote Psalm 46, verses 8 to 11. Come, Behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear asunder. He burneth the chariots in fire. Be still and know that I am God. And I will be exalted among the heathen and I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The children of Israel had certainly beheld mighty works of the Lord. They had ceased to be enslaved and captives in Egypt. They had seen the armies of the Egyptians destroyed. 
They had been brought to a place of rest in Mount Sinai and had been visited by God from the mountain. They had chosen as a, they were chosen as a peculiar, they had been chosen as a people, as a peculiar people, treasured above all people and called to be a kingdom of priests. They could have proclaimed, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. But instead, Exodus 32, 1 to 14. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, I want you to notice clearly there was no recognition of God at this point. We wot not what is become of him. Like Jesus in his time of temptation in the desert, the children of Israel were at, at a time of recognition and choice. Trust in the word of God and rest in the experiential knowledge of knowing that God had delivered them from the bondage and faithfully met all their needs. Or, in their own thinking and in their own might, construct their own way of escape, believing that if they didn't do something, they would surely perish here in the wilderness. How often are we there? The the psalmist, he recognizes, be still and know that I am God. That's all the children of Israel had to do at this point. But instead, they had to do something. They felt that they had, in their own strength, they were left to their own devices to solve their problem. These three times that they committed that they trusted in the Lord and all the things that He said that they would do, etc., etc., had long fleeted their mind and they had come to this point of where they wanted to make these gods before Him. And that, you know the account. I'll give it a quick read here. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the gold earrings which are in the ears of your wives and of your sons and of your daughters and bring them to me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received them in their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a, after he had made it a molten calf. And they, the children of Israel, said, These be the gods which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made, made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast unto the Lord. Does that not remind you of the devil speaking to Jesus? Those are scriptural words. Right words, wrong God. Or wrong gods in this particular case. And they rose early in the morning and, and offered burnt offerings and brought, brought peace offerings to their idols. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Paul's admonition to the Corinthians that we read earlier. And the Lord said unto Moses, get thee down. This, the young people know that this, this little, I find this amusing every time I read it. Get thee down, Moses. So he's talking to Moses. Get thee down for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. Amusingly, from Exodus 3 through Exodus 22, there are 18 references where God has claimed the children of Israel as his people, but, when they're, but in their disobedience, they're now Moses' problem. I don't know. I don't, want to be, I don't want to be in that place. Thank you. Anyways, they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them, and they have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto it and said, These be the gods of Israel which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and which have brought, seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked, stubborn, uh, vehemently stubborn people, is another translation. Surprisingly, the children, this is the part, I'm what, I don't even know how long I've been, half an hour, and this is the point. Surprisingly, the children of Israel's actions at Mount Sinai would have been totally orthodox. Think about it. 
Egypt, the only culture that they experienced up to just a few short months ago prior, had many gods and idols that they worshipped. The fashioning of a golden calf at the time of these events would have been considered firmly established, conventional, customary, normal, making the, exception, the actions acceptable in the eyes of the world. However, these actions were contrary to God's word that they had heard from the mountain firsthand. I just want to do a quick definition. I'm a definition guy. It helps me. Something that is orthodox is conventional, ordinary, customary, established, considered traditional, normal, and acceptable, and this was right in the dictionary, by most people. It's conforming to beliefs, attitudes, or modes of conduct. It's conforming to established principles, positions, doctrines, or policies. Conforming to an approved form of any doctrine or philosophy or ideology. So Orthodox has a very wide definition. The children of Israel had decided that Orthodoxy was easier, is what they created their way of escape by creating these idols, which is was totally orthodox in their upbringing, totally orthodox from where they had come from. But what was God's plan for the children of Israel? Where he was taking them to. So once they chose, made this decision, this choice, to make their way of their own escape, they chose orthodoxy. Now you'll hear later that orthodoxy is not a bad word. So I don't want you to walk away with that in mind because orthodoxy means all those things I just read. But just like the devil when he produced the words of the Lord, it's the context and the spirit that make the difference. The children of Israel collectively had either A, rebelled against the word of God and broke their covenant vow deliberately, or B, convinced themselves that God's word was not relevant in the circumstances that they were in now, but somehow still felt that they were, they were safe in the bounds of their covenant, i.e., they could justify it. Neither A or B are acceptable. Pass, but I feel it is more perilous, B. Proverbs 14.12, there is a way that seemeth right unto, the man, unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Neither A nor, sorry, yeah, neither A or B are acceptable paths, but I feel the more perilous is B. Proverbs 21 and 2, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the heart. Outright rebellion, A, can be addressed directly by appropriate discipline. It may not facilitate change, but it can at least be addressed face on. However, defiance or disobedience with the belief that our understanding in our circumstances is in harmony with the understanding of a reasonable majority, yet ignores the righteous foundation of the word of God, sorry, foundation of which God's word is established, leads to division, strife, Endless, unproductive point and counterpoint arguments trying to defend the justification of man's thinking. 1 Corinthians 11.16 But if any man seem to be contentious, we, are, uh, we have no such custom. That's, the, that's Paul speaking on behalf of the apostles, and now he's speaking on behalf of the church, and neither the churches of God. If we want to have our own opinions about things, this is what the children of Israel did. They had made their, they had made their choice because their circumstances were, were, were such that they had to do a workaround somehow. God wasn't looking after me today. I will come back to this point in the children of Israel's journey, but I would like to share two other accounts whereby relying on their own thinking, individuals chose some level of orthodoxy over the righteousness of God's word. These are much shorter. 
God had instructed Adam and Eve that they could eat the fruit of all the trees of the Garden of Eden except the fruit of one particular tree. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. This is the responsibility of God set by boundaries, no different than the boundaries that were set around Mount Sinai. For in the day that thou eatest, thou shalt surely die, and consequences. What I would like you to see from these two verses is that eating the fruit of the trees in the Garden of Eden was orthodox. Pretend there's a thousand trees and there's only one exception. Orthodoxy says, well, what's the difference between that tree and any other tree? However, the Word of God had put up a boundary for their protection. Genesis 3, 1-8. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord had made, God had made. And he said unto woman, Yea, hath the Lord said, Ye shall not eat, hath he not said that ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? There's us pulling that portion of scripture that was, up, you know, was, was going to meet his needs, but it wasn't all the word of God. Did he not say that you could eat of all the trees? Yes, he did. I just read it to you. And the, woman said unto the, uh, the, and the woman said unto the serpent, Yeah, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Eve knew the word of the Lord. There was no doubt, based on this scripture, that she knew, that she knew what the truth was. She knew what she had been instructed. There was no doubt in her mind at that point. And she knew its consequences. And then the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. There's no consequences. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, that your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. This is that heart thing that, that the proverb speaks about. She took the fruit thereof and did eat, and give also, give also to her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid from the presence of the Lord. Uh, amongst the trees of the garden. I'm assuming that Eve looked at the forbidden fruit and there was probably no perceptible difference from any other acceptable trees. Knowing God's word was not enough to deter Eve from evaluating her circumstances and she went down the same path as the children of Israel. She either rebelled against God's word or deemed it irrelevant when measured against this new information that had come to light. Does that not sound like today? That she had been presented. Matthew twenty four twenty four, For there shall rise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they should deceive the very elect. That was a short one, right? Last one. Next, I'd like to talk about King Saul. Samuel was the last prophet to Israel as the children of Israel had chosen to have a king as other nations did. Once again, the children of Israel's desire to, for orthodoxy, but uh, that's, that's another story for another day again. But for today, I'd like to focus on King Saul. God had directed Saul to Samuel, where Samuel had been instructed by God to anoint Saul as king of Israel. Like Moses, Samuel spoke the word of the Lord to Saul and gave him instructions and assurances as to the walk Saul had been called to by God to reign as king over God's people. 1 Samuel chapters 9 and 10. Fascinating read. I thoroughly enjoy that section of the scripture. Samuel's final instructions to Saul was, And thou shalt go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down unto thee to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings, and seven days shalt thou tarry till I come to thee and show thee what 
the, thou will do. The operative thing is, he is to be shown what to do. Just like the Spirit, of, if we're led by the Spirit, the Spirit will lead us in what we're supposed to do. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. The time appointed arose sometimes late, sometime later. It's in 1 Samuel 13, starting in verse 1. Saul had reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in Mount Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in, excuse me, I'm going to say Gibeah, of Benjamin, and the rest of the people were sent every man to his tent. And Jonathan smote a garrison of the Philippines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel also was having an abomination with the Philistines. They'd made enemies. Just as a quick sidebar, Jonathan had defeated a garrison of the Philistines, yet Samuel claimed the victory. Or sorry, Saul claimed the victory. Saul's integrity of character was certainly suspect at this point. But I want you to, the very first verse in there speaks of the time delay between when he was given instruction and the time the instruction was needed. It was two years later. I don't know. Are we willing to wait two years for something to come? We want it today. Anyways. And all the people gathered together after Saul to Gilgal, and the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel. Now, if I could ask you to just humor me, Close your eyes and listen to this description. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and pitched in Michmash eastward of beth And when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait or a tight place or in deep trouble, then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. Now you can open your eyes. That's what, the, what, what you had envisioned, all of that, that's what they saw. That was their reality. That wasn't some theory that somebody was reading out of a book that, that this was going to happen. This multitude was standing against them, and they were scared. But notice the reaction. The reaction was the same as Adam and Eve's. We got to hide. It was the same as the children of Israel. Step back. This is too great for me. This is too tough for me. These circumstances are beyond what I can bear. Even though the word of the God had told them that I'm with you. I've delivered you. I've been faithful to you. And as for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling, and he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. Once again, evidence that Saul knew the word of the Lord that had been given to him by Samuel. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. As a review... Saul had been appointed king by Samuel, the prophet of God. He had experienced the fulfillment of the prophecies that had went forth at the time of his anointing, and Saul knew what had been instructed of him. However, the circumstances were dire. This reminded me so much of Peter stepping out of the boat and realizing to the right and to the left that this is not what I bargained for when I first stepped out of this boat. And Saul said, "Hither, or sorry, bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering, and it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of the offering and the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. I'm going to bring that scripture up again. Be still and know that I am God. I will come in my time. I am always on time. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You guys could recite another hundred scriptures that meet the point at this at the meet the point of this point. And Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. Uh, Adam and Eve were ashamed and hid from God, but here Saul appears confident 
and justified with his actions according to God's word, Saul was not so much rebelling against the word of God, but he looked at his and the people's plight and determined the exactness and righteousness of God's word was not relevant under the circum under these circumstances and fulfilled the offerings according to his own thoughts and his own justifications. And Samuel said, what hast thou done? Here's Saul's justification. And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou comest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash, wherefore say I, wherefore said I, the Philistines will come down upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to, unto the Lord, so I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. For those of you who may, most of you probably know this, but God's orthodoxy at that time in the temple was is that only the high priests or the priests were to make sacrifices. The, the, the people were to bring their offering or sacrifice to the priests and they were to do the, the sacrificing. So Saul knew that, well, God's not going to be pleased unless he's got a sacrifice. And you, you know where that leads. So he's decided somehow to contrive a solution that was a, an escape from the circumstances that he found himself in. And Samuel calls him on it. I would also like to just, I'm just going to reference, I'm not going to read. Aaron, when Moses approached Aaron in Exodus 32, 21 to 24, he gave a similar justification as how that golden calf just popped out of the fire. We can always justify what we want to justify, but I'm going to take you back to that A and B. If I'm rebelling, God can deal with me, right? He can correct me. But if I think that I'm according to the word, but really, God really doesn't know my circumstances, so therefore I'm going to sort of make this way of escape. This makes sense to me. Or if, 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 if in Jesus' example, I am starving, I have the total ability to turn this into bread. We have got to be, we've got to identify by the Spirit the circumstances we're in. Not identify with the circumstances. Because God in His Word has given us so many promises and we have had so many experiences in our, in our, in our walk with the Lord that we know that He is faithful. And, and Paul here has made it very clear there won't be a bed of roses. But he is looking for a people who are going to know the truth in God's word. So Samuel said to Saul, this is the 13th verse, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. Sorry, brother, left. This was this, you just this came flooding to my mind when I read this. There was much wailing or weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth in the camp of Saul. His kingdom was taken from him. Why? Because he he chose to 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 use his own thinking and his own way of escape rather than trusting in the Lord. Previous scriptures record examples of those hearing and understanding the word of the Lord, or word of God, then capitulating to the circumstances that befall them. Capitulating just means giving, they're giving up of all resistance. I like that definition when I found it. Capitulation, just give all resistance to the circumstances. The circumstances are bigger than me. And I'm just going to capitulate to them and find a way out of this leading them to rely on their own understanding and choosing their own way. Rather than be still and know that I am God, they reason that due to their circumstances, due to their circumstances, something had to be done. We are guilty of that. I know I am. If you're not, please shine your halo. We get in a set of circumstances where we begin to say, we have to do something. 
But yet we have been in a walk for some of us for many, many, many years. And God has already showed us that he'll take us through circumstances. He's all, we have experiential knowledge of the truth of God's faithfulness and that he will fulfill the promises in his word. But yet, just like the children of Israel, that sort of goes off into this cloudiness when I start looking at my circumstances. And then, as I said, we tend to act or react to where we find ourselves. My admonition to you is learn the word of God. The answers are there. Um, be still know, uh, leading them to rely on the owner saying choosing their own word rather than being still and knowing that I am God they reasoned that due to their circumstance since something had to be done Proverbs 31 1 to 5 my son forget not my law but let thine heart keep my commandments you have a responsibility here for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them upon thy neck. Write them upon the tables of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not unto your own, unto your own understanding. It's quarter after 11, I think. So this is sort of the, the warning side of this message. I think that this is applicable to me, for sure. But the New Testament is a much great... The things that the children of Israel were, we have experienced things far greater through Christ than the experiences of the children of Israel. And it would take another 45 minutes to sort of do that, so I think I'll stop here and we'll see where the Lord leads in the future. But be honest with yourself. I had to be honest as I was writing this. There are so many times that I tried to find my own way out. I was without work for 18 months a few years ago. Boy, did I try everything in my power. And then the Lord, one day, he just grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and sat me at my desk and said, read. And it was almost audible. It was almost audible. And I spent days and days reading the Word of God. And my brain wasn't there to comprehend it all. But somehow I knew in my heart my responsibility was to read and to read and to read. And I'll never forget that experience. And I said to my wife, how could the ministries ever sit at their desk and read the word for this long. It's, it's like a job. Little do you know. Little do you know your future at any given point. But I will tell you that out of that, I'm not saying I was obedient every day, so don't look to sign my halo because it's not true. But the res- when, when <laughs> I'm going to use my wife's terms. The time came when Tanya said, this is enough, God. You know, we've, we've learned our lesson, right? I won't tell you what the lesson we learned because it's one I don't want you to have to go through. We've learned our lesson. <laughs> and she came back about a day later and says, Calvin, I don't think we're through this yet. Be still and know that I am God. I will take you through this. When I look back, I have no idea how I got through 15 months of no income. There, there is no explanation. I couldn't even look at the books and I'm an accountant to figure that out. But the Lord provides. The Lord made a way. And then he started to open doors that put me in the position of where I am, where I went into an employer where all of a sudden all the things that I had strived for were gone and God had given me rest in knowing this is where I called you to. What peace there was in that. But there was a responsibility for 18 months to read. I'm not saying you have to go through that experience. I'm just giving you my experience. Because the, the word of the Lord is the source of our strength. 
not our own understanding, not our own skill set, which is, that's the thing I had to learn. It was nothing that my skills were doing. Those skills were no longer required in my job, at least in the way I saw them anyway. So trust in the Lord. Be honest with yourself. If you're going through a set of circumstances, are you looking for a way of escape or are you turning it over to the Lord? If you would like more information about the moving of God's Spirit or resources for your spiritual life, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.org.